And welcome to another episode of G220 Radio. I'm Ricky Gantz with Mike Miller. And we are here with episode number 499. 499. We are one week, one week away from our milestone episode. This is big time. We have made it. We have arrived, so to speak. Uh, we, we are reaching 500 episodes. I mean, we have been going strong for 500 episodes here at G220 Radio. You have been going strong well, for 500 episodes. But but we've you've been here for quite a bit. I don't know exactly what number it is you came in at. It was probably I want to say it's around two, it's two something. 270s? Yeah, so I mean, still that's you're talking 250 episodes give or take. That's still a lot of episodes. That's a lot of life here at G220 Radio. And we've seen, you know, I know we'll talk more about this stuff next week, but we've seen people come. We've seen people go. Uh, and I'm not talking about hosts. I mean, we, we've had those uh, hosts come in and host with uh, G220 Radio for a period of time. And then schedules or uh, other commitments have pulled them away understandable i mean we've even gone through some changes where when when g220 radio started it was monday nights and then it became easier to move that to tuesday night and so we've been going strong with tuesday nights since then and that also conflicted with some people's schedules but man we we've seen some changes we've gone through a lot in 500 episodes here we are now broadcasting live right now on facebook live and on youtube and, and our faces are up here, which is not what was there when we started G220 Radio. It was all blog talk, blog talk radio, which was, was a horrible sound at times. But I do have to say it was useful for me because I did not know how to do a lot of things on my own. And blog talk did it for me. So it, it uploaded them, put them out as a... a episode i was able to have people call into the show and it just was kind of it was the hosting site and it made it easy to do that when i didn't really know what i was doing but as you grow and you learn this is where we are now we're here and we're using melon mm -hmm. we're broadcasting on two different platforms and about to hit 500 episodes of g220 radio and i'm excited about next week we're gonna be talking about galatians 220 and then some of our highs lows you know, uh, of, of the, uh, the radio program over the years. Yeah. It's been a fun ride, at least a short ride I've been on for these last, I don't know, I feel like at least three and a half years, almost three and a half years, close to four. So yeah, it's been fun. Covered a lot of topics and, yeah, you know, we've covered even our tonight's topics here and there at different times. Um, you know, my short stint, but, you know, <clears throat> as Paul or Peter tells his readers, it's good to be reminded of these mm -hmm. things. We often forget and to rethink them, rethink about, you know, theistic evolution, Genesis one and three, Genesis one through three, um, even in light and not particularly because of William Lynn Craig's new book, though I've read some stuff and we'll address it, but just, it is constantly being brought up and it needs to be addressed again in some sense. 
Um, yeah. And so, and so that, it's good to think through these things. Yeah. And, and that's the thing that, that brought us to this episode here tonight. It, it was really a very impromptu, very, very, very impromptu episode. Um, Mike found out today uh, that this is what we're doing. I found out today this is what we're doing because I was kind of trying to think in my head, like, should we do our 1689 show or should we, should I try to grab a guest on? And I actually was trying to get a guest um, to come on and interview an individual. Uh, and the, the in individual that we're going to get on will be on the show uh, in October. Uh, but that was when he was free to do it. I was kind of hoping I could get a guest on tonight and we could just kind of do an interview and then go into G220's 500 episode. But, but as I began to think today and I'm like, man, what, what should we do? And I hadn't really talked to Mike. This is my fault here. I hadn't done great communication this week. It's just been one of them really busy weeks. I went to the Ligonier conference. Well, we could have talked about what they spoke on. We, uh, we could have. Yeah, we, we could have talked about some of that. And we could, we could talk about some of that throughout the show here. Cause, um, but it was just a very fast pace, everything uh -huh. going this week. And, and I know you had been sick and I, and I was just kind of, Oh, man, so much stuff going on. And and I really wasn't thinking about the show. And and then I was like, man, I really need to get down what we're going to talk about. And um, here we are. So Theistic Evolution really came about because a couple weeks ago when I was at uh, not even knowing about William Lane Craig's new book, because he's not somebody that I follow. I don't yeah, I don't so really yeah. listen to William Lane Craig as an apologist. I know who he is, obviously. I think a lot of people would say they know who he is. I've heard some of his argumentations. I've heard him in clips. I've never, I, I can't say I've ever listened to an entire debate can't. that he's had, but I've heard clips from, you know, debates. And he, he's just not someone that I'm interested in listening to. It just uh -huh. doesn't have a draw for me, you know, so to speak. And uh, so it had nothing to do with that. But when I was at, Cleveland State a couple weeks ago, and I was evangelizing, handing out tracts. This young student came up to me, and you can see the video if you go to G220 Ministries' uh, YouTube channel. It's up there, and Theistic Evolution is in the title. But he came up to me and basically was asking me, can you believe, and I'm kind of just summing it up, can you believe basically in the Bible and believe that God used evolution to bring about his creation? And so that's kind of what brought about this conversation for tonight is because, let me see here, we got chat room going on over here. Yeah, here's my answer. Yes. But as J316 Ministry says, you have to compromise. You have to compromise yeah. somewhere. Yeah, and that's, that's kind of where I was considering with doing this episode tonight is kind of just talking about it. Because um, like I said, we're, we're excited. We're going to be going into 500 episodes. And, and I told Mike I wanted to keep it light. And Mike's like, okay, so let's do theistic evolution. Genesis 1 through 3. So, you know, great, great thing to just throw in the lap of Mike right here. But he, he's my, he's got a doctorate. I mean, he, he's, I don't have you know, a doctorate. Well, I have my, my, my bad, my bad. MDiv. And yes, I have studied this topic. It feels like a nauseum. Um, but, you know. I was See, if it was the it. other way around, I would be panicking. Mike tries to yeah. drop something in my lab. I'm be like, I don't prepare. But see, I kind of feel comfortable that I could do that with Mike because I'm like, this guy's he's well studied. He 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 can handle it. So, yeah. But my it bad. Was, um, 
Yeah, so it's obviously a topic I've studied in classes on Genesis and Old Testament classes and getting into systematic questions. Um, you know, obviously Genesis chapters 1 and 3 are very important to how we understand the Bible and, you know, and how you take it, how you understand it really affects how you read it and just even – so you have, you know, J John, or I think it's John three sixteen ministries. Um, when you have like a William Lake Craig on WLC in that comment, um, when he's dealing with these issues, you we have to think about them, and he's coming at it from a, a philosophical mindset. That's kind of where his, I don't want to say his expertise is, but I think it is expertise, philosophical, and. Um, apologetics with it you know but you there's lots of questions that have to be answered there's lots of um important questions we need to establish right away because the bible moves quickly in the first three chapters and it sets the tone on how a many themes start in these first three chapters that reverberate throughout the rest of the bible yeah. All the way to Revel to the final chapters of Revelation. And so it's important that we understand what's going on in these first three chapters. Because um, really, our reading of the Bible depends on it. Yeah. And and that's that's the thing that's, that's very important. As you said, it really depends upon our understanding of Genesis. This is such a vital book in the, the Word of God that if if we can't get the foundations correct— it's going to like, okay, I was in the military. Mike was in the military. Uh, he was in the Air Force. I'm Army, so I don't know, Mike, and I'm not, this isn't a jab at the Air Force. I don't know how much field training you did with uh, navigation um, as far as like going out in the the the, uh, the woods with a compass, right? Did you do I any did a of lot that of Boy or? Scouts. Okay, in Boy Scouts. So you, you, you've, you've done it, right? So you yeah. know that if you have a compass and if it's too close to a magnet or, or something that uh -huh. it will pull that – It'll it'll be it could be off just a little bit, but by the time you get to where you're the the destination of the amount of miles you need to go forward or steps to where you need to go, you could be way off the mm -hmm. mark, right? You could be way off the mark, and so it's very important to get that accurately um, leveled out. Know where you're going to go and follow it to a T. You have to trust that that equipment that you're using is being used properly. And you're going to end up where you need to be. If you don't, like I said, you could be way off. And so if we don't have the correct view of Genesis, if we have things that can come into Genesis that don't fit with the rest of Scripture, it's going to pull us off in a lot of, lot of areas. And, and dealing with the fact that Genesis 1 through 3 tells us the creation of the world and gives us the details in God's creation— and then we get into cha chapter three where we, we see sin come into the world and this promise of the Messiah. If that's not literal, if that's not true, if this account didn't happen, it's just some allegory or some story to kind of help you. Um, what's the best way to, to say it? Just kind of get a good moral story here. Then what's the point of Jesus Christ coming and dying on a cross? For sins of man. Well, that really affects the gospel. 
It affects, you know, the, the reason that Christ has to come as this perfect lamb of God to take away the sins of the world, you know, and, and that's, that's a serious, that's a serious drift from, you know, as you're trying to navigate in those woods, that's a serious drift from where you want to be. Yeah. And I'll, like mentioned earlier, there's just so much writing on it. Not only do you have the promise in 316, you have what's God intended purpose of men, why we were created. We were created to keep the earth and you have not just a garden, but a temple garden, a garden used for the worship of God. And Adam is to protect it and he doesn't. And he's supposed to be the one who kind of leads us all. And you start seeing these themes the temple curtain is designed the same colors of a garden with cherubim on them. Well, where's the cherubim first mentioned? Well, it's Genesis 3. They're protecting the garden so that men can't live eternally with this evil heart. Again, just there's a lot. And just even... You know, how we understand marriage, what is supposed to happen, the important roles of men and women within marriage, within society, all of these seeds are sown very early in Genesis. What makes us different than dogs and cats and buffaloes and sharks? All of this stuff is established early on and becomes important no matter what, how we think about this world. Even dealing with how do we deal with global warming mm. and environmental issues. Those are important issues that Genesis 1 and 2 speak to and to think about. And when you go in a way like William Lane Craig goes and what I've read on um, some of his stuff and listened to that this is a mytho-history and that it's rooted in history, but it includes stories of myth, being that they're not true. Well, okay, why stop at Genesis 11? I know we're not going that far, but that's where they tend to stop. Why stop there? Mm -hmm. Why not all of Genesis? Moses isn't around for Abraham. Um, I think there's textual evidence to show that Moses had sources, that these aren't just myths, even though and I'm going to word this carefully, that Genesis 1 through 11 show characteristics of ancient Near Eastern myths. They have the same characteristics. But that doesn't mean the Bible itself is myth. And I think when we start to go down those roads, we start I, seemingly they may not say it, we start denying the divine authorships of the books and focus too much on the human author. And mm. there's not a balance there. Because if these aren't true stories, well, what does this then say about God? And William Lake Craig tried to use, like, Jesus uses parables to make teaching points. I get that. And he's not the only one. He's just the most recent that is saying these. Um... But this idea of 
is this really God's word? I mean, essentially, you're denying the one thing that Satan is saying to Adam and Eve in the garden. Did God really say? And they're attacking it at its source. Mm. And, and that's important to think about. And so when we start getting into creation arguments, and I think there's something to say that the Hebrew readers would have read probably Genesis 1 and 2 with more of a functional view. We talked about this during the Flat Earth um, episode we did a long time ago. But it doesn't neglect the ontology, what it is, what is happening with it. So yes, the Bible isn't a science book. We're not getting a detailed explanation of how the earth is created and how is God doing it by the power of his word. But that doesn't neglect that he's telling us he's doing it. Because right. in the beginning, <clears throat> God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was empty and void, and the spirit hovered over the face of the deep. Those yeah. mean something. We see God right away. He's doing something. He transcends what he makes. And then the idea that the spirit hovers over the depths of the earth, we can look at ancient mythology and say, well, that's used in that time as this idea of chaos. Well, Moses could very much be using that idea, running it as it is, divinely inspired by the spirit, to show that God creates something beautiful out of chaos. Mm. And he does it by the power of his word through the son, who is the son, and by the spirit, who's the one who creates. And when we look at that and think about what that means for us, if you're just going to say, well, this is myth because it shows up everywhere else, or this can't be, it has to be myth if you're holding to theistic evolution because it's talking about days. Well, then where else is this Bible myth if it's just merely written by men? But if it is God who is inspiring Moses to write these things, to reveal to him what he has done for our benefits, then we know that this is much more than just myth. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Definitely more than myth. Now I'm going to put something out here that we have not normally done. I don't think we've ever really – well, we, we've had people come in to the program before. Um, but I see J316 Ministries in here commenting quite a bit, and I, I appreciate that. I'm going to put this out here. If any, if anyone who's watching the show right now would like to come on G220 Radio tonight and share a thought on what we're talking about, um, put your email in the comments, whether you're on YouTube or Facebook. I could, I could say just go to Facebook, message me, and I'll send you a link, and you can jump in. Uh, but some people may not use Facebook. I'm not sure. So um, if you put your email in there, I will email you right now during the show and let you jump in here and share your uh, your thoughts on this topic that we are discussing here tonight. And and uh, so as we look at Genesis one and two, again, this is another thing that in dealing with is I think this is kind of where you get some people uh, having some confusion or they try to allow for there to be a break you know between Genesis 1 and 2 that's why there's those that would hold to uh 
old earth and they'll say, well, you can, you can, you can fit it in here. Um, they try to put a gap theory in yep. there. There's different things within, uh, thought when it comes to creation and how you can kind of fit evolution into it. And so, but one of the things that I think people miss is that Genesis one and two are not two different accounts of two different creations. It's one creation account, but it's being explained. So it, it's you, you've got the, the one is kind of a, a, a broad, it's just a, an overview in chapter one where then Genesis chapter two, it's coming down narrow to to the creation of man. It's getting to that what was created on those days, and it's it's getting ref, like fine, not fine tuned, but it's it's really defining it to get to this creation of man. Yeah, so I would explain it kind of in this way: um, Genesis one focuses on creation of the world with men with man at the pinnacle um that that's what it's driving to that's what the most time is spent on in the creation story and then genesis 2 is the creation of the garden within Mm. the sixth day in which then man receives kind of his functional duties and we see that played out in that way um so i would place genesis 2 is a a snapshot of what's happening on day six of genesis one yeah yeah j6 day six is the broad he creates the creatures and he creates man and i don't think it's necessarily has to be in that order Again, it's the pinnacle of it. You have kind of, in one sense, the broadness of creating all of the universe in day one and then the light to finish the day and then narrowly coming in to create man. But also that it's done in a way that is... um, that has symmetry on it. He creates first everything, and then he fills it. Mm. He creates the sky and the sea, or kind of the earth, and then he puts the heavens, the the heavenly bodies, the stars, the sun, the moon. He fills it. He creates dry land and the oceans, and then he fills them on day five day or I'm getting I think I'm getting this mixed up but anyways there's a symmetry in which he builds on days one two and three he fills them in four five and six and then he rests from creation on day seven observing what he has created and to think and and putting us as a pattern of our work rest life work six days you rest the seventh. This becomes important on why we worship on the seventh day instead of the sixth day as the Jews did. And what it means that to worship on the Sabbath day, the sixth day as Jews. And to, so you have that, but then when you get to Genesis 2, we'll see we're in a, in a specific location 
of what he has created. And we're zooming in now at the creation of this garden, the creation of man to put in this garden so he can work it. This garden not growing is dependent on the fact that there is no man there to work it. It's what the text says. And then God creates man. He shows him he needs a helper to do his work. But in naming all the animals, he doesn't find a helper. They all have their mates, but he doesn't. Showing Adam that he needs someone else. And then Adam going to sleep and Eve being created next to him. And showing that she's equal with him, though he has a role over him because he names her. So he has a, a sort of dominion over this. This plays out in the New Testament on how marriages work with the wife submitting to her husband, but her husband to love her as Christ loves the church, to live mm -hmm. love her sacrificially. These seeds are picked up in Genesis. We see this early, and I think when we – we stop and we focus, what is Moses trying to tell us in these stories? A lot of these issues resolve themselves when we consider them. Yeah. And I think that that right there that you mentioned, and, and you explained that beautifully, brother. The, the way that you, you, you mentioned that, though, this, all these animals are brought to Adam and he is naming them, right? This... Is and I don't think the strongest point, but it it it's it's very strong in this. God's not using evolution. There's this not the no theistic evolution in this, because you have Adam being created on the sixth day, man created on the sixth day, and land animals created on the sixth day, right? So you you you've got these animals coming to him, and he is naming these animals. It's not he's descended from some common ancestor who was descended from a common ancestor who was descended from a common ancestor all the way down to, you know, this first cell that develops over millions and millions of years, you know, and then starts to create this life, right? No, we see Adam in the garden naming this. God is giving him this job this task where he is the one to name these animals you know so that that's again that's another reason we would say look based upon the scripture based upon genesis 1 and 2 that this does not fit with the scripture this theistic evolution it just cannot vibe with the word of god you you, you may say you believe in a theistic evolution that God could use these things, but you can't do so in, um, in being in agreement with the word of God. You would have to twist the word of God or move the word of God. And this is what people do with the gap theory and whatever. They try to put a gap there and say, well, see here between this and this, there's a gap. So therefore, or they try to say, well, the, the, the day and night or day one, day two doesn't necessarily mean like, one physical day, 24-hour period, but it's a long period of time. It could have been, you know, a day is like a thousand years, a thousand years like a day. It could have been a thousand years. And so uh -huh. they have to try to fit things in there to make this evolutionary process fit. 
rather than what it's actually giving to us in the scripture. So you can't you can't really be in agreement with the the creation and bring theistic evolution in without trying to to uh, move the scripture out of the way to fit it in there. Yeah, and so we've been talking a lot about what scripture says. Obviously, we hold to more. We would say a literal translation, literal in that we interpret it within the genre that it feels in and how the scripture also interprets it. But let's look at just evolution, the theory of evolution as Darwin created it, as it's been expounded upon in the recent times. What's the core of it when we think about evolution and what it is, is it's trying to explain this world, how this world came apart, came together apart from God. Darwin was trying to disprove creation account. I think this is important to think about. So theistic evolution is trying to marry a scientific theory that was designed to oppose God with what God has spoken and ultimately gives the tip of the hat to this atheistic theory as opposed to what the word of what the word has spoken, what God has told us and revealed to us. And so there's, there's, it's not, it's, it can't match up. Like mm -hmm. you're, if you have to hold one over the other and, and that's the question, are you going to hold what God has told us versus to uh, a theory that came up of, man who didn't want God who wasn't one who is saved and this doesn't neglect that we see changes within species but you don't see changes to new species right and that's the the heart of the issue is in the end are you going to let the wisdom of the world, wisdom of science, the science of the gaps, explain how the earth was created? Are you going to let the, the one who created it explain how the world was created? And that's, that's the issue. I don't – you know, here I have a book, The Bible Among the Myths. It looks at, and trying to ask the question, I've shown this before, it's by um, John Oswalt. It's a very good book. Like, Moses writes in a way in which he's, in one sense, given an apology for the triune God against the other myths. And he's using the same styles, but he's contrasting them with what he's probably received passed down from him but also inspired by this by the spirit to do it and we can look at it and we can see that and and 
you know, being in God's creation, people, there's two knowledges, knowledge of God and the knowledge of humans. And we can have that. But in the end of the day, what does God say? And that should be the standard. And when you think about what William LeCraig, at least the stuff I've listened to and how he's discussing it, he's trying to hold both. But in the end, and what I've heard so far from him is that this isn't, we shouldn't trust God's word. And that's the big issue. And whether you're an old creationist or a new creationist, I don't think that is is a big of an issue as answers in Genesis may make about it. But when you start playing into some evolutionary ideas like the day age theory, like the gap theory, or that this is Genesis one is just a recreation of the previous world. You run into issues theological issues that make void God's word. And that should really make us stop and think about should we accept these theories? Yeah. And, and another thing that kind of comes to mind too, is, you know, as you go through Genesis one and it says, says, in Genesis 1, 26, it says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So again, you've got Adam having all these animals brought to him to name them. God saying, we're going to create man. And in this creation of man, he's going to give man dominion over everything else on the earth, right? Where with an evolutionary thought, it is basically just some random chemical reaction that happens. And over time, uh, a, a new species is developed that then over more time, another new species is developed. And so then you, you finally get to this point where there's a man. But God's saying, we're going to create man in our image to have dominion over all of the other creation, right? But in, in an evolutionary process or, or idea or understanding, we're just another beast of the field. We're, there's nothing special about man. We're just another animal. But that's not what God says in his word about the creation of man. And then it says, uh, so God created man in his own image, in the image of man, or in the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And so again, it shows you this male and female. And so th this kind of, I was, I was working um, last week, which again, kind of went with the whole theistic evolution question that this kid asked me when I was at, or young student asked me when I was at uh, Cleveland State. But I was working and I was walking and I walked by this one house and this guy says to me, he says, they were having a conversation on their porch. And this guy says, hey, man, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Right. And I looked at him and I said, the chicken came first. And he said, how you know? I said, because God created everything. Right. That's how you know. So uh -huh. how do you. So my question would be, if, if there's an evolutionist that is watching this. 
and maybe they've answered it. I, I don't know. I'm just I'm just throwing it out there because in my mind I start to think, okay, well, if God created male and female, He created them. How so? How if we're descended from a common ancestor, and this one human species is created, and it's male? Where did the female come from? That is also human. Because if it was descended from some other ancestor, common ancestor, it wouldn't be human species, it would be something else. right? So, so where does this other human come from to where then you can have this intimacy to be fruitful and multiply and create more humans? you you got to kind of wrestle through and ask yourself those questions. Because those are problems for the evolutionist. And they may have arguments that they try to use, but that's a problem, really. I don't, I don't see how you can come up with something to say, you know, it's the same thing with the human body. What, what came first in that evolutionary development? The lung, the heart, mm-hmm. you know, the kidneys. <clears throat> what came first? You need those things to function to a degree. Obviously, there are some things you can, the, the Lord has allowed us to, you know, people can go without certain things and still live. But you don't just develop one kidney and then from that one kidney, you know, comes a lung, comes a heart, you know, so. Yeah. Just questions that come through my mind. And when you think about, you know, the creation of Adam and Eve into relation to how this then do we understand Jesus? Because the early church recognized if Jesus is not fully human, he cannot take our sins. We have no redemption. Um, You know, I was going to bring this up. I do it almost every show. (laughs) Baptist catechism. Question 25. How did Christ being the son of God become man? The answer, Christ, the son of God became man by taking upon himself a true body and a reasonable soul being convinced conceived by the power of the Holy Spirit in the womb of Virgin Mary, born of her, yet without sin. The the writers of the Baptist Catechism go out of the way to say he has a true body and a reasonable soul. Those are characteristics of humans. Animals don't have reasonable souls. That's what separates us from the animal kingdom animals react we can think and create yes birds make nests and they're very good at it but in the end that's just their nature it's how god created them it's not like they're building mansions out of their nests and creating new designed nests no a bird's nest looks the same whether it's an eagle or a finch they use the materials around them to build it but we can build skyscrapers i'm teaching on the tower of babel this this sunday they're trying to build a tower to the heavens you see a bird building a tower to a heavens you see a beaver doing something like that 
when we read Genesis and when we think about evolution, what in the end makes us different than monkeys? Yeah, they can hit typewriters. They'll never be smart enough to compose Shakespeare. This is not possible. They don't think that way. They can't think in that way. God hasn't endowed them with a reasonable soul. And I think that's, again, when you start dealing with evolution, these questions get convoluted. And and in a point, at least like you, I don't hear much. And usually it's just, it just happened. Like we don't know exactly, but it did. Mm-hmm. I mean, we can say, well, we do know what happened. God created right. him that way. Like, and, you know, we can debate on whether um, dating theories, which one to use, which one's more accurate. Again, in the end, and I think here, this is Calvin in his first um, 10 chapters of the Institutes, goes out and talks about how, you know, there's only two knowledges, knowledge of man and the knowledge of God. They're reciprocal. And had not Adam sinned, we could look at the world and come to a conclusion that there is a God who loves us. But sin has entered the world, and now we need special revelation. And until mm-hmm. we uh, believe the special revelation, we cannot understand the world that we live in. And... It's true. Whether you look at communism and how it proposes and how it is an overrealized eschatology searching for a utopia, the fatal flaw is humans are sinful. And that's why communism will never work. Ever. On this face of the earth. I mean, it would work in heaven, but that's because you're dealing with regenerate people who love one another. But it would never work with sinful human beings. And this is why understanding Genesis 1, 2, and 3 and is so important when we start to think about culture, politics, and even science. Yeah. And you mentioned Genesis 3, and that's... That is the, all these things that we're, we're, we're speaking on, I think are very, it's, it's one, it's a nail in the coffin, I believe, to evolution. But Genesis 3 really puts this nail in the coffin, finishes it off with this theistic evolution idea. Because in the theory of evolution, these, common ancestors died off so that the survival of the fittest could continue. So to claim to hold to theistic evolution, you're putting death before the fall of man. And the Bible says that sin comes into the world through one man and the wages of that sin is death. So death comes through one man. That's Adam. So Adam sins and brings about death. You're, with this view, those that hold to it, you're putting death before sin. 
And so what is the con? If there's already death, how is that a consequence? How is that a wage? Because Adam would have seen sin. Adam would have, or not sin, Adam would have seen death before this because he would have seen things dying off as other things were evolving, right? If that's your position. But it, again, it just does not fit with Scripture. It cannot fit with Scripture. So you can't truly and honestly, if you say you believe the Word of God, hold to theistic evolution. Not if you claim to, to hold to the Word of God, because it cannot fit biblically. Um, as a result, this is the whole plan of God that he decrees all things, he decreed the fall, that Adam and Eve would come, he would create them and that they would sin, and, and through the sin of Adam, being that head, federal head, covenant head, that all mankind would be born sinners. Mike brought up Jesus was born of a virgin, but he was born a true body with a true soul, right? And, and yet, still born of a virgin doesn't inherit that sin nature that comes passed down through the seed of the man. And so he's sinless, and he does what the first Adam could not do, and he's referred to as the second Adam. And so this is God's plan from the beginning. You, you cannot, you cannot, you kind of, you cannot trust that Christ came and died upon the cross for the sins of man when man is just a beast that has evolved over time. Because Christ isn't coming to die for animals. If you love your animals, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, that's just not what the Bible teaches, right? As Mike said, they don't have that kind of, that's the same type of soul that a man has, right? So Christ is dying to save his people, doing what the first Adam could not do, because sin results in death. Not death comes and then now Adam sins and then it's, Death comes again after that. It you're, you're putting the cart before the horse. Got to unmute yourself, Mike. It's interesting, you know, to think about it. I think, you know, considering that evolution is a couple hundred years old, um, at least in the modern day expression of it. That for most of history, if you want to call them ignorant, go ahead. Um, the philosophers of Greek were smarter than most people are today. So um, we don't have to deal with that. But like there was this idea of creation. They could see like that this order can't be random. And even when you consider the science of where the Earth is in its proximity to the sun, you go with evolution in a big thing, big bang. Well, why is the Earth here? You know, we know that any shifts along the orbit of the Earth would the Earth would cease to be what it is. The, the order of creation shows us there's a creator. God has made it known to us. 
again, I think coming back kind of to that point, that's what makes theistic evolution so hard because it's taking a theory that neglects God and tries to pass it off as something God has used. And creation shows that it's incorrect with irreducible complexity, the big fancy term they like to use. The fact that you need an entire circulation system at one time to do it, or a cell has to have all of its parts at one time to function. And, I mean, you also just don't have physical evidence within the fossil record. You know, we can see this evidence. Yes, it may be hard to believe these things. But that's why we trust God. Faith is trusting in things that we don't see. It's not a blind faith, as the atheist would say. But it's trusting God. If God has saved us, as he has regenerated our hearts, he has given us what we need to know to have salvation, why would we not trust him in telling how he's created the world? Or how, in his works of providence sustained sinful human beings to bring up about his plan of redemption. Um, there is just, this is just what makes Genesis so crucial. And I think why this has to be talked about so often and redefended with every raising generation because it is important um, to, to understand who God is as creator, yeah. as sustainer, <clears throat> as one who is holy and love and righteous and merciful and gracious and all-powerful, all-knowing, and that he is the one who sustains us. He's the one who gives and the one who takes away. All of this, the entire Bible is meant for us to know who this God is. If we can't trust it with faith, then you might as well just believe in something else. Yeah. Just don't, and don't call yourself a Christian in doing it. You just don't believe what Christians have believed for 2000 years as the faith delivered once to all. Yeah. And I think it's important too, that we, we, and you mentioned it, Mike, it's not a blind faith. Okay. The reformers don't believe in this, this blind faith. I mean, we use these terms. We, we use a noticia, a census and fiducia these latin words for number one this knowledge we, we this is this is a faith that is based upon facts it's based upon knowledge and, and we we look at this and then we we acknowledge those things we 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 reason we, we think about these things we 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 understand these things and then we trust that we trust what is being stated 
from the word of God. <clears throat> and so that being said, it's not this blind faith where we just continue, we just foolishly just accept anything that's told to us. No, it's based upon truth. And we can we can historically now we don't believe here at G220 Radio. I, I think God can use evidence. I know we, we we talked about William Lane Craig, and he's more of an evidential apologist. And God can use evidences, of course, to bring someone to the knowledge. I mean, who, who's the guy? The case for Christ, the the case for the resurrection. Um, Lee Strobel. Okay, so this Lee Strobel, he he began to try to look at the evidence to disprove God, and it was used in bringing him to faith, right? So God can use evidence. We're not saying that he can't, but we understand that it's ultimately going to be God that does a work. We trust what we have. The disciples, they say, we can only speak of what we have seen, what we have heard. It's not mm-hmm. this thing that's just blind faith where they just, somebody tells you and you say, oh, okay, I believe that. You know, and then the next person comes along with another story of something else. Oh, I believe that now. Or I believe this now. No, it, it's based upon facts. It's based upon evidence that we can see and test. Now, there are things in the scripture where, I mean, Jesus says, the, um, blessed are those who do not see these things and yet believe. So we still have the evidences. We can look at these things. And I, this is even one of the things I, I spoke to one of the college students that I was evangelizing is we can look at the history of of the scriptures. We can look at the accounts, even the people that were not Christians, the accounts of these writers, these Jewish historians that wrote about Jesus being a real person. So to deny that he was not a real person, as some people do deny he never even existed is ridiculous. There are those claims that are made and there are historical evidences for them. So we have those historical evidence, but ultimately the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. So as we're talking about theistic evolution doesn't fit with scripture. It just it does not go together. You can't make it fit. You have to move the scriptures out of the way. But we want you to understand that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. And the Bible says this that Jesus Christ came into his own creation, being that second Adam, doing what the first Adam could not do perfectly lived in obedience to the Father, never once sinning, ever, fulfilling all that he was sent to fulfill. And he willfully went to the cross, laid down his life, died on the cross. He was beaten. He was had his beard plucked from him. He had the cat and nine tails uh, raked across his back. And he went to that cross, and he was nailed to that cross. And he was buried. He died on that cross, shed his blood, was buried, and rose again on the third day. This is this gospel that's of first importance, that Jesus Christ came to save sinners. And so, as we're telling you, theistic evolution does not fit with the scriptures. It just doesn't. But Jesus Christ can set sinners free. And he does so by using means, that's his messengers, to go forth and proclaim that gospel message that Jesus Christ came and died, rose again to set sinners free from the bondage of their sin. So if anything else, that's what we want you to know, because ultimately we know that God is faithful in bringing his children to himself. So, Mike, any last words, thoughts on uh, theistic evolution before we close out the program tonight? Yeah, just um, 
we haven't really kind of hit themes and talk about, but I want to let's bring this in with some exegesis short, sweet. It's not going to be in Genesis one through three. It's going to be Genesis five verse one. And the text says, this is the book of the generations of Adam. When God created man, he made him in the likeness of God. Verse 2, male and female, he created them. He blessed them, and he named them man, and when they were created. And then it goes on to do a genealogy, going from Adam to Noah through his son Seth. Adam's son Seth. But I want to make note of this. In chapter 5, verse 1, this is the book of the generations. This is the only time in this um, repeatedness of generations, which happens a lot. This is the generations of um, the heaven and earth in chapter two. We see it um, later on. This is the only time that in this formula, the idea of a book is being mentioned. It's a document. It's a book. It's not just He's not just saying it. Moses had something to tell him about what was going on. This becomes important because Matthew starts off, Matthew chapter 1, verse 1. This is the book of the generation of Jesus Christ, the son of David, the son of Abraham. Matthew had a book. It's the only time the idea of a book and generation are combined. Genesis 5.1 Matthew 1 1. If we're to trust the Bible, we understand. I think Genesis 5 1 helps us to understand that Moses has documentation in which he is writing about. Yes, he is writing under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. He is, the Spirit is using his research like he uses Luke's research to write the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts. But God is behind this. God wants us to know how he created the heavens and the earth. Because it reflects his glory. But it also tells us, as you mentioned, our sin and our need for a savior. And that this savior came in fulfillment to the promise that the seed of the woman will strike the head of the serpent and the serpent will bite its heel. Christ came to save sinners, and that's who we are. And until we realize that, in the end, the people are going to believe in theistic evolution because they don't trust in God's word completely and fully. Amen. That's been G220 Radio for tonight, episode number 499. Join us next week as we celebrate our milestone of 500 episodes here at G220 Radio. Thank <laughs> you.